Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Well, good morning. I hope you got good sleep last night. I know I did, and I figured out, I figured out why. The trick is to not have any middle schoolers or high schoolers in your room with you. That's the, sorry, leaders. That's just the, I figured that out last night. I was like, why is it so stinking quiet in here? But then the dog barked at 5 a.m., and uh, it's weird when you, when you grab your phone and you turn on white noise and it's a fan, but there's no air blowing. It's just, just weird. I have a fan in my room at home that just the whole night, but I can feel it, you know what I mean? So like an airless fan is really strange. Anyway, I know you're not feeling for me or anything. So when I, when I was a kid, um, my, one of the rules my parents had, because I didn't know this until later, there had been like some crime in this apartment complex behind the, it's like our neighborhood in the woods, in this apartment complex. And uh, my parents didn't want us down in the woods. There's like a creek in the middle that obviously was screaming, come to me, you're a small kid, you'll love it, you know, kind of like the creek out here. And uh, so I wanted to go down there like all the time. My parents were like, you can't go down there. We don't want you in the woods at all. There was another woods that we could go in behind our house on the other side, but who cares? We're loud in there. So like we wanted to go where the creek was. And so we'd go in my friend's house and out like in the front door, out the back door, and then down into the woods. And they never saw us actually go in the woods and stuff. So I remember one time my brother got me in trouble because he accidentally, from going from rock to rock, one of his feet got submerged in the water. And so when we went home, I was like, take your shoes off, put them somewhere where mom won't see them. But no, he was thirsty. So he went upstairs one squishy foot at a time on the carpet, like squish, squish, squish. And we got back in the day when people didn't just use belts for holding up pants. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you still do. And you're like, I'm actually not allowed to say or DSS will steal me. Anyway, so like, but I mean, like, we got whooped. We really did. We got whooped. And so we weren't allowed to go down there anymore. Um, but then my friends in the neighborhood started building a fort. Talk about temptation, right? A fort is being built that I'm not a part of. I need to be a part of this. And there was a neighborhood near us where they were doing construction. And we would go and ask for scraps because they were just throwing stuff out anyway. So we get like scraps of plywood, little pieces of two by four. We were nailing them to trees. This is the most precarious, weird three-story fort I've ever seen. Because we took the, these skinny trees. We're like, well, we'll just nail it here. One nail, one nail, and we'll stack more wood up. It was really big. We had carpet in this fort, carpet remnants that they had cut from a room that didn't fit. So they were down, usually moist. And they're all like, I mean, it was just really, really cool until our neighbor uh, found out it was on his property and not my friend's property and thought, this precarious thing that sways in the wind probably could get me sued. And so he told my dad, and my dad was livid, like, how in the world could you betray me? How in the world, after what happened last time, would you dare? Like, so we got grounded forever. I'm still grounded. Uh, I can't watch television anymore. I'm just kidding. No, we got grounded for a long time. It was a long time. And I, I can't help but thinking that that's like exactly like us as people, not just going into the woods or doing something you're not allowed to do or like with the, you know, the big red button you're not supposed to push. Never put one of those on something because everybody will just push it. I was at the National Youth Workers Convention a few months ago and there's a big red button in this one booth and everybody's walking around this booth and I just immediately walk over to the red button and push it. I'm just like, 
boop, I hit it. Lights started going off, a siren started going, and everybody in the booth who works there starts ringing a bell. And apparently it meant that you would just purchase this curriculum. They would hit it afterwards. It's like $250 for your youth ministry. And so like my pastor's with me and like, I guess I have to buy this. Like, is there money in the budget? Like the guy's like, yeah, yeah, we don't, like you're not supposed to just hit this. This is after somebody buys the curriculum. I'm like, oh, I, I wasn't unaware of that. He's like, then why did you push it? I was like, it's a big red button open to the public with no cage over it. I'm going to push it. I'm glad I didn't do something like nuclear meltdown or something like that. That's just how people are. We want to do the things we're not supposed to do. And when we're talking about Hosea and this, especially this girl, Gomer, that he's married to, Shazam. Anyways, just as we, do you guys watch that or is that like really, really old? It's based in North Carolina, so it's, you have to watch it in order to stay in the state. You have to prove every, it's really old black and white show. There's a few colorized versions, but they're not funny because all the good characters are gone by then. Uh, anyways, that's your homework. Not really. You might not like it. I don't know. Anyways, whatever. Um, there's a Mayberry Days in uh, Mount Airy, which is where Andy Griffith grew up once a year that me and my daughter go to. And it's, you talk about country. Those people come out for Mayberry Days like, yeah, there's bluegrass on the streets. It's pretty crazy, but they have some good food and some good barbecue. Uh, so when we're talking about Gomer, she is doing this exact same thing like I did with the woods and so forth, going back to the same things over and over again. And we really get into the nitty gritty here when you get into the second chapter of Hosea. Like I said, we're only looking at three chapters this week. So we're like already a third of the way in as we, as we jump in here this morning. It says in chapter 2, verse 2, because we did the first verse last night, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face. and the un Now, okay, so there's some words in here, like you'd be like, oh, that's in the Bible. Yeah, it is. I know you can handle it and everything. I think you'll be all right. This is not seriously talking about how Hosea should treat her. It's talking symbolically and spiritually of how the nation of Israel deserves to be treated because they're following idols. So he's not telling his, he's not telling his prophet to like strip down his wife and, and, and humiliate her or anything. It's talking about laying the sins out before the people, okay? So now with that said, we'll read this in that context, talking about Israel. So remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts, Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. Now, you can't turn a person into a desert. Another dead giveaway, he's talking about the people. He's talking about the land. And slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. She's talking about like these guys have been providing for me. She's taking payment. This is where they get the fact that this, she was not just an unfaithful wife, but she was into prostitution as well. Therefore, God says, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way, and she will chase after her lovers but not be able to catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I'll go back to my husband at first, for then I was better off than now. 
She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. Think about this. Like, if you give somebody, you give somebody like um, a present, like a really nice present, and they like fashion it into something else and give it to your enemy. That's basically what they were doing. Like, I, I'm the one who blessed them with all of these riches. And then they took the gold and silver instead of saying, thank you, God, for providing for us. And then they like, melted it down and molded it over wood and over stone to make a false god. And he's talking about them in this way. And Baal was one of those idols that they constantly went back to over and over again. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands, I will stop all of her celebrations, her new festivals, her yearly festivals, excuse me, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were to pay from, were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and, and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. If we just had the message from today and we just read this, okay, we're going to read Hosea chapter 2, the end be you have been warned. You know, like, you'd be like, wow, God is not to be trifled with. God is like out there putting people underneath his boot this morning and grinding them out, just slowly churning. You're like, help me, Lord. You know, he, this, this is part of the message. It's part of the whole book. It's also part of that three-chapter story where we got the whole, we got a microcosm of that story last night where he said she's not always going to be this way. Eventually, I'm going to call her my people. They're not going to be scattered anymore. Eventually, I'm going to show love to her. And we don't get that in this part right here that we're going to leave off. So just, just realize we're getting to it. And when we come back tonight, we'll get into the rest of it. He's saying, this is what she deserves. In chapter 3, we'll see what he's actually going to do. His goal is never to just harm us and to give us like no future and no purpose and no hope. It's to see you thrive. And there's a lot of if-then statements in the Bible. Almost every time God sent a prophet, it wasn't just so he could have some herald to go, you're going to die. You know, like, there's a purpose behind it. A, a, a prophet would come and be like, guys, seriously, straighten up. All right, right now, straighten up, because if not, God is not happy and bad things are going to befall you, all right? And they'd be like, what, seriously? Okay, well, what do we need to do? Well, just, you know, you need to repent and start doing the things that you used to do. Fall in love with God again. That was like the whole message that prophets would bring, and sometimes whole nations would turn back to him. Like Jonah, Jonah was sent to people who weren't even God's chosen people. Probably the worst people on the planet. The, the capital of Assyria that was lopping people's heads off and skinning people alive, that capital, he sent them to them, and he told them that they were all going to die if they didn't turn, and they, were, they actually turned and repented. I mean, like that's the whole purpose behind this type of message. It's not that God is out to get you. It's like God sees all of the destructive paths we're walking down, and he says, hey, don't do that. Just like if I had been in the gym yesterday with my son and saw him jumping over people, I would have been like, hey, stop. You can't control the outcome of what, I know you can jump high, we totally get it. You don't know, one of those kids might move eventually. And I've told him that before, I've seen him jumping over people's heads. This isn't the first time he's jumped over other people's heads. When he was little, he'd have been like, 
they would just like lean over and he'd like leapfrog over them. But now he's getting brave, all right? So he's jumping over people and stuff. And he probably won't for a while until he forgets how bad it can hurt. But I would have been like, dude, nothing good can come of this. You're doing it for, I don't know, show because you feel extra springy. I don't know why you're doing it necessarily. I mean, I do. He's in ninth grade and there's people in the gym. What other reason do you need? (laughs) I asked him on the phone last night, why were you jumping over people? I don't know. They were there. I was like, that's a great response, son. I have raised you well. (laughs) Jump over things that are there because you can't jump over things that aren't. You know, like, wow. Okay, so that could be a Jack Maverick quote. I'm just kidding. I'm going to have to get him one of those outfits so he can do his stunts in style. Um, We do stupid things, and God gives us a warning, and that's what he's doing. Now, there's also another passage in the New Testament I want to look at this morning because she's talking, it's talking here in Hosea about the fact that her lovers, these false gods, were the ones she was looking to for provision of even her very water that she drinks. And it reminds me of this encounter Jesus had with somebody that has that full-blown story. It has like from when he runs into her all the way through his purposes for her. And you've probably heard this before. It's the woman at the well. All right, so there's this lady who's a Samaritan. Now, if you don't know much about Samaritans, the Jewish people did not like them. Can anybody tell me why they didn't like them? Does anybody know why they didn't like them? Yeah? You said they were against each other in war? Actually, they just didn't, they didn't, uh, help each other when war would come. They'd be like, yeah, they got this on their own. Like, there's a, there's a couple other reasons why they didn't like him. Yeah. Good. Oh, my goodness. Wow, some of this has been studying their history. Okay, so, like, the Israelites were told not to marry people with foreign gods. Now, this is not some kind of, like, um, where God's like, hey, you ain't going to mix with other people. No, that's not what it's about at all because Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And when his sister had a problem with that, God gave her a skin disorder because she had a problem with Moses' wife's skin. So she got leprosy until she repented. All right. So like God doesn't have a problem with that. Even though some people where I live might would still say that he does. He doesn't. Okay. He had a problem with them worshiping false gods. And so they weren't supposed to mix with people who worshiped false gods. Still the same standard for us today. If you're a follower of Jesus, we don't need to be dating or looking towards marriage with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You may have all kinds of things in common. If you don't have Jesus in common, it is the most important thing to have in common. All right, like I'm on my way to heaven and have a relationship with the creator. And they're like, I don't know who that is. You're like, okay, I can't, you know, I can be nice to you. We can be friends, but this, this cannot happen because we are so different. We are worlds apart. And the Jews were told the same thing. You can't, you can't be in relationship with people who are going to bring these idols into your house. It might be fine now. And you're like, oh, I worship on this day. And she does her little, you know, puts the grapes on this bowl and the idol never eats them and we have to eat them or whatever. Like we just do that. But once you're raising children together and they're like, who created us? And we're like, you're like God. And they're like, she's like, Ooga booga, you know, like, I made it myself, but first he made me, you know, like, this just didn't make sense. And God was telling him not to. 
And some of them chose to intermarry anyway, and they brought those false gods into their households. And these people were called Samaritans. And they lived like in the north of Israel, and it was Samaria, and the Jews didn't want anything to do with them. They called them dogs, they called them mongrels, they called them half-breeds, they called them all kinds of stuff. And they got racist about it, but it didn't start off to be a racial thing. Because you could marry somebody of a different ethnicity or race if they were willing to follow the one true God. And so they wouldn't go near them. And Jesus goes out of his way to talk to this lady. Also, just a little thing, ladies, um, the guys didn't talk to girls in public unless they were married to them or related to them. And it's not because God told them not to. It's just something people, people just do stupid things. They always add little rules and stuff. And they're like, actually, we're not even allowed to do this. There are some states where you're not allowed to walk around with an ice cream cone in your pocket because some moron did that at some point, I guess. And we got some weird laws. And say they had added these. So guys would not talk to girls in public. Some of the Pharisees were known as the bleeding Pharisees as a joke, people called them that, because when they saw a woman coming, they would close their eyes until they got, thought they got past her, and a lot of times they walked into stuff. And so they called them the bleeding Pharisees and made fun of them. And God had never told them to ignore each other. Now this happens right here in John chapter 4. We'll throw it on the screen too, starting in verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Now, everybody else would go around Samaria, but Jesus had to because he wanted to. And when he wants to, he accomplishes his purposes. And so it becomes from want to to have to. And so he made it a priority. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. You remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph? That's anyways. Long time ago, it's an old well. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, you don't go in the Middle East to the well at noon. It's outside of town. You're carrying a giant water pot. The women were obviously burly back then and awesomely beastly. So they were carrying these big water pots. The men didn't even help them with it because they couldn't talk to each other. It was public. And so they would go at the, in the morning time or at night to avoid the heat of the day. But here was a lady in the heat of the day by herself going to draw water. And we'll find out later that she kind of had a bad reputation, kind of like Gomer in the Old Testament. She had this bad reputation. And because of that, she chose to go when no other women would be there. Because I don't know, you've probably never noticed girls do this before, but just occasionally somebody will whisper about somebody next to you. You've never seen that in your schools or anything. But you know what I mean. You've seen it happen, and you even know when it's about you because everybody gets quiet when you walk in their room. And you're like, what's going on? They're like, oh, nothing, nothing. And they're looking like, she doesn't know. She knows. All right? And so to avoid those whispering gossip sessions, she just came at the most uncomfortable time of day to fill up a pot of water. And all of a sudden, this dude starts talking to her. It's shockingly enough that a man is talking to her. It's more shocking that it's a Jewish man and she happens to be a Samaritan. So she lets him know this. And he asks for a drink. His disciples have gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for, who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's weird. That's a weird conversation to have. It's like you walking up and being like, hey, uh, I walk up to you and I'm like, hey, can I have some of your store brand Mountain Dew? And you're like, sure, 
You want some of my strawberry Mountain Dew? Yeah, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for my legit real Mountain Dew that I have. You'd be like, you'd be like then why are you asking for my store brand Mountain Dew if you have better Mountain Dew? Like, what is the problem here? You guys have Food Lion here or no? Ours is called Mountain Lightning, which is kind of funny because Mountain Lightning and Mountain Dew both mean moonshine. They were all words for, anyways, and they're still just soda, regardless. Kind of false advertising, whatever. Jesus says, you know, if you had any idea who was talking to you right now, you would have asked for my living water. And she gets curious about this living water because he's obviously not holding anything. So she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well to drink from? And he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, points at the well, will be thirsty again. And that's true, right? I, I had like some orange juice this morning. I had coffee before that. I'm currently thirsty. Like th- reading about water. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, bless you, child. I don't know. What do you have there? No, I don't need a drink mix. This is just regular water. Besides, there's probably not sugar in that, right? Is that one of the sugar-free drink mixes? I'd rather have plain water. I'm just saying. Mess, mess with your waitress next time you go to a, a restaurant. Ask for diet water. They always look confused. Like, I'll have diet water. I'm trying to watch my moisture gain. I don't know. Okay. It has what? No sugar? Say, I dodged a bullet right there. Okay. Let's get back to this. Focus, because I'm AD, element OP, and I don't want to get distracted. Okay. So she says to him, she says, like, are you greater than our father and so forth? So he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that makes no sense on normal water plane. He's obviously talking spiritual. She doesn't understand that he's talking spiritual because that sounds great. If I just took a sip of this water, which I did, and I never needed water for the rest of my life or any type of liquid, that would be awesome. And they keep running. People are like, we gotta take a water break. Not me. Living water. You know, like, that would be like, wow. I'm not even like, I sweat but it just goes right back in, just comes out to cool me and then sucks back in the pores. I don't need moisture, Uh, living water. So she's thinking of it this way, like he's got some new product that I've got to have. So she says to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's thinking that she won't have to come to the well anymore. Yet it is uncomfortably hot. I won't have to hear the women talk about me. I won't have to come here in the heat. Where's this water? If it exists, I want some. I'm in. How much is it? I'm, yeah, infomercial, I'm sold. I'm calling the number right now. I'm good. So he asks her this, and Jesus realizes she doesn't get he's talking about spiritual things. So he elevates the conversation to say, let's actually have this conversation with your family. So he says this to her, knowing everything about her, go call your husband and come back. It's kind of a touchy subject for this lady. I just spit across there. Did you see that? You're, okay, well, then I didn't do it. <laughs> I saw something. Something came out from breakfast. All right. So he says, she says, sir, I have no husband. 
And Jesus does this thing he likes to do, like a compliment truth sandwich, where he puts a compliment, slice of bread here, truth, and another compliment. And he does this. So you'll notice it. He compliments her twice. He, he like affirms her twice, but then he gives her the truth like it's the peanut butter and jelly mixture, all right? So here's the thing. By the way, the peanut butter and jelly stuff you buy together is nasty because then you have to refrigerate the peanut butter, which is okay if it's the oily kind, but it's not the oily kind. It's the cheap kind with the goobery looking thing, you know what I mean? And it's all li- This sandwich is not like that. All right. So he says, you are right when you say you have no husband. There's the compliment. Oh, you're right. You're telling the truth. You don't have a husband. The fact is, truth, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. So he's like, I kind of, I mean, that's, that's a shocker. Because Jews didn't talk to them. And he's never been in her town that she knows of. She has a reputation there, but why would she have a reputation with him? Like, how does this dude know all this who also happens to be selling the best water on the planet? Like, what is going on here? And so he gives her the second, the sep- second compliment. He says, so what you have said is quite true. Let me just imagine that. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. You're, it's true. You're, you're very honest. You don't have a husband, but you have had five. You don't currently have one because you're living with a guy you're not married to. Thank you for your honesty. You know, that's a nice compliment sandwich. Jesus is like that. And it's cool because he's always going to speak the truth in love. He wasn't like, yeah, that's a lie. Yeah, you've been married multiple times. You would, it's, it's not like, for that day, it was scandalous. Right now, that just means she'd be an actress in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> truth. I forgot to compliment sandwich it. That's why you said that. Okay. So she says at that point, she realizes this is not an ordinary man. She says, sir, I can see you are a prophet. And then she has this theological burning question that's been in her heart. She immediately goes to, like, if you meet somebody like super spiritual, they seem to know a lot of stuff. And you're like, oh, I've had this big question about creation. Let me ask you this. Like, she goes right into that. She's, like, not even talking about living water anymore. She's like, oh, you're a prophet. Question. She just had this. Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that we have, the place we have to worship is in Jerusalem. Like, she wants to know, is it okay that we worship here? Because the Jews don't even let us in the temple. They push us away so much, they won't even let us go worship, and we want to worship God, and they won't let us in. Can we worship here? Is that okay with God? So he says, woman, and then this is a term of endearment at the time, he even referred to his mother this way. You don't call people woman today because it's not a term of endearment. It doesn't translate well from the original language that he was speaking in, all right? So today, it would be like saying ladies and gentlemen. He's using like a, a nice term for a lady. And he says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. He didn't say it was for the Jews. It's from the Jews. The Jews had been set up to be God's chosen people all the way back from way before Hosea to show everybody who God was. And they weren't doing that anymore. And he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. And so she says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And he uses the I am on purpose because that's the way that the Jews referred to God in the Old Testament. And he says that. The disciples come back and they're wondering why he's speaking to her and so forth. Let's move down to verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. If you fast forwarded in that story, you would find out that most of the people in town actually believed on Jesus at that point after they heard his actual message. Something significant there is that she left her water jar. She left it where it was. Actually, let me put this here. She left it where it was because that thirst was not as important to her anymore because her spiritual thirst had been cleansed. It had been fulfilled. She had experienced living water. And we, you might think, well, I've not been married five times. I'm not living with somebody I'm not married to and so forth. Like, where does, where does this, I, I've, I've never been a prostitute, those kind of things like in Homer and, and uh, Homer, Hosea and Gomer. That's where I got that. Anyways, but we have thirst too. And the main thirst we usually have is water. Okay, or, and you might quench that with some other kind of liquid, but it has water in it, which is why it's quenching, all right? But every time I drink water, I have to drink it again. I'm thirsty again. I'm not gonna go over there and get that right now, but it's just the way it is. We, we are thirsty again, but there's other thirsts that we chase in life. My sister is an alcoholic. She's spent time in prison. She's had a pretty rough life. She's older than me, and she never once has been able to say to me, I only got drunk once, and from then on, I never needed to because I'm still drunk. <laughs> no, that's not the way it works. When somebody goes to this thirst to fulfill their needs, they have to return to it again to get those needs fulfilled again. The same is true with drugs. The same is true with sex. I've never met somebody who decided to sleep with somebody, and then after that, we're like, I'm so fulfilled, I'm never doing that again. It leads us down that, now somebody might out of guilt say that at one point, I don't want to do that, but then they end up, you know, maybe even distorts their view of what God created in the first place because he made it to be beautiful between a husband and a wife. But if we go to something to fulfill an appetite, it will never truly fulfill. And all of these things are fulfilling, they're just not permanently fulfilling. They fulfill those needs and wants and desires for a little bit. Relationships are the same way. I know the font's smaller, but it's a longer word. Relationships are the same way. We have to continually have relationships in our life in order to thrive. If you don't have people around you, you kind of go crazy. Watch Castaway if you don't believe me. Like, you need people in your life, but if we're just trying to, to justify ourselves and make ourselves feel better by the, how many followers we have, how many people like our stuff or favorite our stuff or whatever thing that you happen to, to use social media-wise, then we're, we're never going to receive true fulfillment. We're going to have to go back to that again and again and again. And the same is true of money, and you'll find this out, especially as you get older, that if this is what you chase, you'll never be fulfilled. I've never had a paycheck large enough to where I'm like, you yeah, know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to work anymore. I retire. Even people who are billionaires, billionaires, if you ask them why they haven't retired and they're still going after money, 
It's just that they want just a little bit more, and no one can ever put their finger on what it actually is that they want. Fame is the same way. When we chase fame, we're almost willing to do things, not just to be popular, but almost things that just will get people's attention. But we have to do that again and again and again. It's not something you can do one time. The next three things are probably what you might consider good things. Sports and grades. I'm not here to tell you. I know there's one green bottle. We couldn't find another one. I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't try to achieve things in sports or that you shouldn't try to get good, good grades. But if that's where you find your worth and your value, you're going to be disappointed. You get 100% on some math test in seventh grade, you're not going to be okay with failing the rest of them all the way through and be like, I'm st- I got it in a frame. Here it is, 100%. You know? It's something you have to go back to again and again. That thirst is still there. There's so many things that I could put up here as thirst that we chase. But here's one that kind of talks to the church a little bit. Works. If we're not careful, we start to try to do the things we think God wants us to do. And we see that as something that justifies us before him. And there is nothing that can justify you before God except Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing I can do. Not being nice to people, not being culturally responsible or environmentally responsible or all of these things that would be great. Look, I've been a good steward of your creation. I've treated everybody like I wanted to be treated and everything. And God would say, what did you do with my son? Because I gave him as a sacrifice for you. Did you repent of your sins and turn to him? as the only thing that can justify you. Do you have living water in you or do you have to go do something nice again so that you can get that same good feeling? Do you have to go volunteer at the soup kitchen? Or do you have to tutor somebody? Do you have to do something to make yourself feel good again so that you can feel like you are doing the right things and on the right path? And some of these things up here are not bad things, but if we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. Because it should be about our pursuit of Jesus and what Jesus wants to do through us. The thirsts he wants to eliminate in our life so that we just walk in his spirit and he shows us the next thing to do again and again and again. And what we're gonna talk about tonight is gonna be a little probably deeper than you normally get, but I'm gonna put it on like the easiest level we can probably think of. And it might even help you understand some theological things that you've never really truly thought about when it comes to justification and sanctification and stuff like that. Some of you are like, what? What are those words? Anyways, it'll be very clear when we leave tonight um, what those are and what God wants to do in you. And I'm praying that uh, I don't do an invitation every time I preach and stuff. I'm gonna just give you a heads up that tonight I will give you an opportunity, well, God will give you an opportunity to make a decision if you've never ever decided to follow him, if you've never accepted that living water, if you've never said, you know, I don't want that if then, if I'm not gonna follow you, then I'll be separated from you. I want a relationship with you. I wanna step back into that. As we look at the third chapter of Hosea tonight, God will show us some things in there that I believe will speak to our hearts. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for each of these students. Lord, I don't know what thirst they're chasing, I only know what thirst I was chasing before you. And what some, God, sometimes I go back to some of these same stupid things. I try to be fulfilled in areas that I don't need to because you are my fulfillment. I don't have to give my life to you over and over again to get fulfilled, God. It is a spring of living water welling up within me. You are always there. 
You're always faithful. You always keep your promise. And you take us through. And even if the world looks at us and says, you know, they're not valuable, or they're not worth it, you go out of your way to meet us at that well and say, I, I know who you are. I know everything you've ever done. I still see you. And I still love you. I thank you for being that type of God to us that's willing to embrace us even when we are not embracing you, that's willing to come meet us where we are even when we're not trying to look for you, God, that you have left your home in heaven to walk among us, to live a perfect life, to go to the cross and give your life as a ransom for many. I pray that you would be with us as we go into our small groups now, Lord, that any questions students have, that they would kind of bubble to the surface and that we'd be able to talk about some of these things, especially these thirsts that we might be chasing, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.